Hey guys and girls, welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. And I'm your host, Roman Segal, who by now you should hopefully know who I am. I wanted to start by saying a big fat thank you to you for listening to Molecule to Market. I can't believe it's been almost a year since we first launched the podcast. So it's been amazing to get your feedback and your positive comments. So please keep them coming. It kind of keeps keeps me going and keeps the rest of my team uh, you know, positive in terms of continuing to produce uh, the episodes. I just have one favor to ask, which is, you know, go onto the app store and, and give us a, a kind rating. Uh, and if you can't do that, just share today's episode or one of the other episodes with a colleague or industry contact, just as we try and kind of spread the news of the podcast uh, throughout the industry, especially in the absence of uh, any events happening at the minute. So, my guest today is a gentleman called Steve Ferguson. Steve is a really, really humble, lovely, down-to-earth guy. He has around 25 years experience in the life science sector and has worked for the likes of Lundbeck and Thermo Fisher before joining Medics Biochemica as its CEO. He's a real expert in the pharma and diagnostic space, as well as a well-respected industry leader. I really enjoyed my conversation with Steve today. He talked about his background and his humble and grounded upbringing, which gave him uh, you know, so much, but particularly I loved what he talked about, uh, or he does talk about, is the kind of uh, early respect for the strength of women in his family and that kind of gender equality part. Um, he also talks about, um, which I really like, a chance meeting in a pub in Liverpool, uh, that led to him coming into the uh, pharmaceutical sector, which I think is fantastic. Um, I really love his attitude as well. Steve talks about just the importance of having fun, enjoying yourself and making a difference at work. Really, really great points uh, he makes uh, over and over again, which I think is uh, for you to take away and make, look at your own career and making sure you're doing that. More sector specific, Steve talks about the kind of positive and negative impact of COVID-19 on the diagnostic sector. And he kind of shines a light on the need for more spend uh, on the diagnostic space uh, kind of moving forward. He also talks about the kind of the, the, the need to create visibility in a fragmented market. Um, and, you know, and then you know, within the outsourcing space, when you get that opportunity, uh, overlaying that relevance you have to the buyer and the other things that you can offer uh, that business. So yeah, so really, really fascinating conversation. Um, yeah, connect with Steve on LinkedIn. I'm sure he'll like to hear from you and enjoy. Thank you. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Raman, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. It's it's great to to finally be able to to speak to you. And uh, Steve, for our for our listener um, that might not have known uh, anything about you or come across you, do you mind just giving us a, a bit of an overview of your background and how you got into the the sector and and ultimately that's led to your uh, position that you, you know you're in today at, at Medics. Yeah. Okay, so uh, very broadly, Raman, uh, you probably tell by the accent, but I, I grew up in Northern Ireland. I'm one of a family of seven kids, which is, I'll talk to you about the relevance of that later. Um, went to university in Belfast, in Queens, and in Toulouse, in the south of France. And um, I, after 
university, I went to work in France for an Irish company who were involved in mining equipment. And um, that company asked me to come and work in England after a period in France. And I intended to, to stay there for a while. And, and how I got into the sector, um, I, I met a girl in a pub and she told me <laughs> about the pharmaceutical industry. And I just thought, wow, that sounds absolutely brilliant. And I, I said to her, um, look, if ever a job comes up in your company, do, do you think to take someone with, with my profile? And I started in sales and, I, and I, I had a just, I enjoyed selling and enjoyed working with customers. And she said, look, there's a sales role in Liverpool. And a little light came on and uh, I'm, I'm a lifelong Liverpool fan. And I thought this is too good to be true. So I joined a company called GD Searle, who were part of Monsanto. I was a pharmaceutical rep with them. And I really got uh, an amazing grounding with that company in terms of training um, in, in selling and marketing and in customer engagement. And I developed my career with them up until the point that they were acquired by um, Pfizer. And at that point, I thought, okay, I want to go and do something else. I, I, I've always wanted to stay in small companies where you could shape and influence decisions. And I had tremendous respect for Pfizer, they're an amazing company, but I felt they were too big for, for me to, to operate in. So from, from that, I went into Lundbeck, into mental health. And then um, after nine years at Lundbeck, um, due to some patent expirations, they needed a major reorganization. And I just felt it was time for me to go and do something different. And that took me out of pharmaceuticals into in vitro diagnostics, which, which was uh, with Thermo Fisher. And um, after seven years at Thermo Fisher, I, I again just decided it was time to do something different. And um, Medics had an opportunity, Medics Biochemica based in Finland, had this opportunity and it just, you know, the timing was right and the opportunity was right. And that's, that's how I got into the sector. So I never had a master plan, Raman. I never thought I want to be a CEO or I want to be in this particular sector. I really focused on, um, am I enjoying what I'm doing at every, at every time in my life? Am I having fun here? And am I making a difference? And I think if you can answer those questions truthfully, if, if you feel as though in any role you're having fun, you're making a difference and you're enjoying it, then um, that's a good basic recipe for, for success. Those three elements together usually give me the energy and, and give others the energy to complete tasks and to achieve things mm -hmm. um, either on our own or, or as teams. I love, I love that. It's a, it's a great piece of advice to start off with and, and also a good lesson for everyone that uh, chance meeting in pubs is is the is the origin of many good stories in life, which uh, which I love where, where that came from. I'm interested in what you said there where you said you didn't like, oh, sorry, you didn't, like, you, you didn't want to necessarily sell, tie yourself to a big company and then mm -hmm. you moved to Lundbeck and Lundbeck is still quite a big company <laughs> as yeah. far as uh, obviously it's not necessarily the scale of of Pfizer and what what was that time like then I believe you did a decade at Lundbeck and um, you know what that must have been an incredible experience I've actually I think I visited their office in uh, Scandinavia at one point it's a very impressive mm -hmm. uh, business but I'm just curious to know uh, what that experience was like particularly being on I suppose the pharmaceutical side of things rather than the supply chain side of things yeah so I, I think, you know, you, you may have heard this once or twice in life, but size matters and uh, size is always relative. And I, I think if, if I look at the size of Pfizer at the time, um, the team I was working with and the budget I was working with were, were huge and Lundbeck were tiny by comparison. Um, so 
to to give you one example, one product in the Pfizer line was turning over more every week than the entire portfolio in Lundbeck were doing annually. Wow. So it, it really was a scale down. Still, as you say, not, not by any means a small company, but um, it, it was a company that was going through transition. They needed a, a sales leader in the UK and um, I, I needed that on my CV at the time. I'd come through um, kind of business development, NHS liaison, um, uh, and sales and marketing roles, but I had never had national responsibility for a direct sales force. So I wanted to get that off the CV. And then the fit with Lundbeck was good because they had just pivoted. They'd, they'd just come to the end of their first major blockbuster, which was Citalopram. Mm -hmm. And they had uh, a new product coming out, or they just launched it, which was S Citalopram. Um, and uh, they had uh, uh, an Alzheimer's product, Mementine, which hadn't been given um, approval by Nice. So they had two meaty challenges. And they wanted to transform the way the customer engage, uh, the way the company engaged, and the challenge was to move away from being a mass market. Dare I say it, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, GSK, like big sales force, into more of a really dedicated, less noise focused sales force, mm -hmm. um, and go to fewer customers with a smaller team, but with much much higher quality. And that was it was less about noise and more about the quality of the interactions. So we took um, the time at Lundbeck was, was fantastic. They, they gave me um, my, my first ever director level position. Um, it gave me an opportunity to explore new therapy areas that I didn't know. And the company culture in, in Denmark in particular from, from the headquarters in Valbu was really adventurous. They, you know, the, Lundbeck would do things and find out later that they weren't able to do it. Um, there was that kind of spirit of let's just go and do it and and don't be told that you can't do it. Mm -hmm. So I, I learned a lot through that process about just ambition and about focusing on the right things and focusing on um, execution in order to get products or projects to, to an end. And we went through an, an awful lot of change um, in that company, but I met some fantastic people there. I forged some really strong friendships and business relationships that I still hold today. And um, it was just, a, a, I look back at it and that was probably, it's still a time where I didn't personally feel like a grown up. I still felt like I was a kid having a lot of fun at work. And, um, but by, by the end of that, I, you know, definitely Lundbeck was transformed. I left it in better shape than it was in when we, we joined it. Mm -hmm. I remember together that joined at the same time that really helped transform the company. And just because you said it, you know, it was like being a kid and you mentioned right at the start about being one of seven kids. Um, yeah. How is that? Influ I mean, I'm one of three brothers, so I can, I can probably speak from my own perspective, but being one of seven and I don't know where you are in that, whether you're youngest or oldest in the middle, but how was that upbringing in, in, uh, in Northern Ireland as well? Uh, how does that, how's that shaped you as a person in terms of how you are today in, in the career that you've developed over the years? Yeah, I've got, I've literally got goosebumps as you um, have asked me that question because um, I, first I, I grew up in probably the worst of the troubles in Northern Ireland um, in a rural town that had um, fairly well segregated communities. Um, and my father died when I was 13. He, he, died, he, was, he was only 48. He died of cancer, which left my mum to bring up seven kids. Wow. And I learned two things from that really. Um, 
Raman. The first is a, a total respect for uh, gender equality. So I have four sisters, um, one younger than me, three older, and um, they lifted the heavy weights in the family just as much as any man would have ever done. And I, I, I learned so much from them about equality and, and seeing them as equals that, that have carried me carried into work years later. And the respect I have for my mother in terms of how she guided us, um, not just the, the physical upbringing, but the mental upbringing and the nurturing and the um, installation of belief that we got from her. Really, she's, she's an inspirational role model to this day. And that lives on in all of us, all seven of us. Um, the second thing I learned was really about um, humility and pride and getting that balance right. And you can imagine with, um, you know, we, we, we grew up, there was, there was a boys, boys room and a girls room. So we didn't, we didn't have <laughs> our own rooms. There was none of this, uh, you know, you didn't have your own Xbox or your own iPad or whatever. You had what was there and you shared it. So I learned that um, quickly. But also if, if anybody got a bit too ahead of themselves, they'd be quickly knocked down. So the tallest <laughs> poppy syndrome would be there evident. And equally, if anyone got too low, you, you immediately had this instinct to rally around and support and um, pitch in. So really, if you translate that into work, it was the ability to give and take feedback in, in non-flowery language, totally direct, sometimes abusive, um, <laughs> but the ability to always be receptive to it. I learned a lot that, you know, when you take an action, there other people will, there'll be consequences, whether they're intended or not on other people. And you need to be mindful of, of just, just watching out that what you're doing is in keeping, it fits with everything else that's going around, it's consistent, etc. So it's, it governed me um, around being humble, um, being true to yourself and, and being authentic and being open to giving and receiving feedback because, because there's a richness in that feedback and an honesty in it that really helps any individual. But it, it definitely helped me to grow as a human, literally in the early days. But I've carried that into work. So I'll constantly look around for verbal and nonverbal feedback uh, about, you know, how are we doing here? Is everything OK? Are we on track? So really a, a, a total respect for uh, strong the strength of, the, of of women and what they the role they can play in life they can be inspirational models um that you, your gender is irrelevant when it comes to what you can achieve and the second is just const, constantly being open to feedback that you'll never get everything right all the time you'll never get everything wrong all the time and just checking that that everything's in balance around you is, is a good discipline that i got from that Oh, it's so interesting to hear this story and your uh, your mom obviously sounds like uh, very inspirational and uh Incredible woman, given obviously the childhood that you went through, and uh, how do you, so? How do your family view you now? Obviously, with the and we're going to talk about obviously what you do now and the success of your career. And um, is there a bit of banter that goes with that, where they where they're, they're they're happy to knock you down when you go home and see them, and or is there a sense of pride? Maybe I, I suspect with your family of, of what you've managed to achieve in in your career. Um. <laughs> I don't, I, don't I, I honestly don't really know an immediate answer to that, Raman. I think I, I've never made much of it. I, I don't, um, I think we've always had more important things to talk about than what we do or any labels we put in each other with work. Um, I can tell you that in, in my family, I've got, um, you know, our, our children, our generation were the first ones in Northern Ireland that were able to go to university. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. before that, our parents couldn't go. 
we were able to, and uh, I think four of us did and three of us didn't. But out of the seven, all of us have made successes of what we do. And um, that's not, it's never been a competition. Mm-hmm. It's not about financial remuneration. It's, there, there's something in it about just, you know, are, are you making a difference in life? Are you happy? And um, I don't, I think the banter is always there. So I, I, I get stick and I give stick openly. <laughs> And it's the, the family reunions still still go on today. It's amazing after all this time with um, partners and, and children and grandchildren now. There, there's never been a, a family feud. There's never been any major divisions or, or um, issues between us. Um, we pull together and there's that spirit of, of teamwork and love that exists. Um, it, it's very strong. So the banter is always there. Mm-hmm. The crack is good, as, as we'd say in Northern Ireland. The crack's always good when the family's together. Um, and I don't, I, I, you know, if, if I said, look, I've, I've gone and I'm, I'm CEO of Medics Biochemica, they'll be pleased for me, but they'll not be thinking, wow, that's important. Or it, yeah, it yeah. hasn't changed you, Steve. It, it, it shouldn't do. It's, uh, I'm still the same, same guy that used to run around in nappies. I, I still make tea. <laughs> I still make tea as badly as I always did. But um, <laughs> you know, there's no, no major change there. I don't, I don't think it's affected our, our relationships in any way. I love it. And I could, honestly, I could ask you questions about your family dynamics all day. And, and when you mm-hmm. next have your gathering, if you want to m- invite me along, because I think it'd be hilarious to watch you guys all <laughs> banter yeah. off each other. But let's, I just wanted to rewind back a little bit to your, uh, I suppose, the career. And you obviously spent, we talked about your time at Lundbeck, and then you said that you then wanted to do something different. And, uh, and then you went to Thermo, where I believe you were there for, for several years. And Talk us through that time because obviously Thermo's changed a lot over the last decade. There's been a huge amount of M and A, uh, and you know that is a that is one huge company now. And so, what what was that time like at Thermo, where um, where they've they've been through such a transition and and the various roles? Uh, and if I if I understand correctly, you did a very senior role there as well by just before before moving to Medics. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Um, Raman, because going from Lundbeck, my instinct was to go out of sector. I'd, I'd, I'd been in pharma for nearly 20 years and I felt as though the, the, the model, the, it, the pharmaceutical industry is like a large tanker. It's very difficult for it to adapt and change. And a lot of that is down to the way it's regulated and how they, they um, recoup their investments over decades. So I, I felt as though that was done or I, I was done with it and I wasn't learning anymore and I wasn't doing anything innovative or different in the sector that I was in that, that wasn't done 10 years ago. So I wanted to change. I wanted to come out of the sector. And I was looking at um, everything from, from NHS, from uh, d- different different roles away from pharma. And I got a phone call from someone. Uh, but I, I, I'd stipulated with the, with the headhunters when I was, I was leaving Lundbeck. I said, look, I want to go to somewhere small where I can really shape and influence things. And really have a voice and 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 really um carry an organization forward or drive change or, or or do something different so if you describe that you know small small company where you can really go in and shape and influence things you don't end up with thermo fisher as the conclusion <laughs> so the 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 company that came up was, was uh, i got a phone call from a recruiter said there's a, there's a company near you um they're looking for a general manager for the uk and ireland and um, you used to work for them, and they're called Fadia. So I said, no, there, there must be another Steve Ferguson, that's not me. 
So I dismissed that immediately. They came back the next day and said, no, it's, it's definitely you. Um, and the Fadia was, was part of Pharmacia who had acquired Cyril. So Fadia had a diagnostics or Pharmacia had a diagnostics business, which when Pfizer acquired the company, they spun off immediately. Uh, and the, the name actually came from Fa and Dia Pharmacia Diagnostics. Mm-hmm. So Fadia set up in um, in vitro diagnostic testing, allergy and autoimmune diseases. And in two, uh, literally about nine months before I joined them, Thermo Fisher acquired them. So I'd gone in with the mindset that this is Fadia. They've just been acquired by another company, but it is this um, small company that's part of a bigger company. And in, in fairness to Thermo Fisher, that's exactly how they ran things. And uh, I, I really did have an opportunity to shape and influence things. It, that there was, it was just a company that they didn't know how good they were. Mm-hmm. And they'd kind of, after being spun out, and I can, I can imagine it happening, they've kind of lived, they lived with what they had. And there was just a, a, a need for them to be a little bit more bold and a little bit more believing in what they do, what they did, because what they did was amazing. So um, I, I ran UK and Ireland and for after two years, very, very successfully, with, with the management team there, we set out a charter on day, you know, not day one, but it feels like day one. Very early on, we asked ourselves a question. What does this management team do? What's our purpose? What would the company miss if this management team didn't exist? And we set out a charter, and I still remember the elements were, we wanted customers to love us. We wanted, um, you know, our products and our service and our response to the customer to be, to be first class. We wanted our company to love us. So we wanted to be, the, the number one in sales, in both cash growth and percentage growth every year for the next three years. That was our mission. And then we wanted our people to love us and we wanted other people to look at us and say, what the hell are those guys doing? They seem to be have a lo- having a lot of fun. I want to join them. And um, so, so those principles of getting your customers to love you, getting your owners to love you and getting your employees to love you and your competitors to love you so that you could attract talent with the three that we nailed on in, in Fadi on day one. And it's amazing looking back, Raman, we, we actually did smash those targets. We were, we got loads of recognition for being the fastest growing cluster of countries. Um, they, they added the Netherlands in. So for, for my sins or for my blessings, I got the responsibility for working with the Dutch for two years. And, but three, the three companies together, we recognized our differences and our diversity and we built our plans around that because that made us stronger. Mm-hmm. And we got loads of accolades from the company because of the financial performance, but also lots of feedback on, you know, when, when we come into your office, there's a lot of energy. People are smiling when they talk about the work they're doing. Um, there's a sense of pride there. So that all of that just became a flywheel that started turning faster and faster and faster. And um, we built a great team there and a great business. And then after, after three years of that, I got the opportunity to take over Europe as uh, vice president of, of commercial um, operations. I, I don't know if that take over Europe came across. It's <laughs> not, not in that sense at all. There was an opening um, for a vice president of, of Europe. And was that, was, and just to, sorry to pause, was that across uh, the um, uh, the diagnostic division that you had already been overseeing or was that a was that a broader a broader role within Thermo Fisher? That was um, that was across the same same Fadia part of the business. So we were in a, a, a bigger group called the Speciality Diagnostics Groups, um, which which had companies like um, Oxoid, 
brands, uh, clinical diagnostics, uh, and others. So they, they, there was a, there was four big companies, but the bit that I was responsible responsible for primarily was the the Fadia part, um, and that Europe for them was twenty seven countries. So you you imagine for a US company, um, the notion of Europe sometimes is is difficult because it's not the federal states in Europe. It's not one Europe. It's twenty seven different com- countries with you know. 13 different languages, different taxation, different regulations in every country, different practices, different models, distributors, direct, etc. It was a very diverse type of business. But, uh, and, and when I first joined there, the, the, the first crisis was the German market was in recession and the business was going backwards. And then there were healthcare reforms in Italy this, in year two, which are our biggest single market, which lost 40% of its sales overnight. Wow. Um, so there was lots and lots of challenges and complexity to manage. But by the end of that, you know, when I left in um, at the end of 2019, um, Europe had just had a, its its strongest year ever, um, record growth, and um, things were absolutely flying. And it was on it was on such a good trajectory, four years, four strong years in Europe, that I, again I just felt I needed a change and I wanted to do something different. And I, I was on a I was on a track in th- in Thermo Fisher, and I, I have nothing but respect for Thermo Fisher. They're an amazing company. And their CEO, Mark Casper, is someone I've got tremendous respect for. Um, but I just felt as though I needed to come out of that corporate framework again and mm-hmm. take a step down to something smaller. Again, looking for something that really needed molding, shaping and influencing and something with lots of potential that just needed strong guidance. And, and that, that opportunity just came straight out of the blue with, with medics. Um, again, got a call from a headhunter. I said, no, I'm not interested. They said, go and see them. And I went and met them and it was my wife that said to me, you know, every time you come back from your meetings with that, those guys at medics, you come back even more and more enthused about it. And I was, I just, I, you know, probably not the best analogy today in, in a pandemic, but um, I caught the bug for mm-hmm. medics like a flu. And, um, it, you know, I just, I, I got infectiously excited about it. And, and that leads us to where we are today, really. And that was leading me nicely on to to my next question around, you know, why you made the change in going from a big company to a, a smaller business. And but before we go into that, do you mind giving uh, our listener a little bit of information on medics and, you know, what they do as a business and, you know, what types of clients that you work with and, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, following on from that, what it was that made it such an infectious business you know was it the culture was it the growth is it the sector uh be great to get your thoughts on that yeah so so medics um firstly in the ivd industry i I had no real clue no real visibility to this part or this sector of the industry and it's it's the supply chain of of raw materials that go into the tests so at at thermo and, and at fadi i just thought we do allergy tests and autoimmune tests and we obviously make those we have factories in different sites and um, we obviously manufacture our own tests and we take a lot of pride in that. But I, I, I didn't have any concept about, you know, the supply chain into that part of the business. So, you know, antibodies, antigens, calibrators, curve controls, proteins, enzymes, all of that. I didn't know that there was an outsourced market for that and there were specialist companies. So uh, for the first thing in, in, in learning about medics was I was learning that there was actually a part of the industry that I, I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that, that was the starting point. So what do medics do? They've got a long history. They're, they're a Finnish headquartered company. 
um, about 36 years old, and they've really their their legacy is around uh, monoclonal antibodies and and making those available commercially. So just after the Nobel Prize was awarded in, in the 80s for the first commercially or the first uh, capability to synthesize and manufacture monoclonal antibodies, within a couple of years, medics made those available to to, to customers. So they're very early movers. Um, in in recent years, there's been a number of acquisitions which has broadened the portfolio. So Medics is really, really known for um, monoclonal antibodies and antigens, uh, mainly native, but also some recombinant versions. Mm-hmm. And then the first acquisition was um, a company in St. Louis called Lee Biosolutions. And that, that was a beautiful fit because it brought complementary technology into Medics. So um, enzymes, antigens, proteins, um, na- native, native materials, human tissue, biobanking samples, um, just just a, a complete complement to the portfolio, which meant we could go to the customers and say, you know, if you're looking for um, a pair of antibodies and antigens, we can we can really strengthen that and we can share, share our know-how with you. And then last year, we, we acquired two further companies, East Coast Bio and Biostride. And um, East Coast Bio brought sector expertise in veterinary diagnostics and in drugs of abuse, so raw materials going into tests there. And um, Biostride were, were, were a manufacturing hub in California that, that we took and, and transferred into the company. So um, I think what medics do today, our, our, our customers are the IVD customer. We, we tend not to focus on academia or research. We're really dedicated and our passion is dedicated to the IVD customers. So large names like Thermo Fisher themselves, Rush Abbott Siemens, mm-hmm. Beckman, we we deal with every company that's involved in a, in in vitro diagnostic manufacturing, and we range from the the largest the, the top ten companies who together probably are responsible for 80 percent of the market, right down to small startups in Shanghai or India or Brazil. Um, we 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 work with them to really develop um, IVD tech, technological solutions for them. So very much raw material high reputation for quality um, and a real sector expertise around uh, immunological assays and, um, and, and the raw materials that are required for that. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. What what makes medics different? What makes you guys better? I'm, I'm guessing, obviously, the quality of what you guys produce is, is important, and the reputation is, you know, I'm, I'm, there are other other companies that I suspect do similar things to you. What is it about your business which, uh, you know, makes makes all those big names that you just mentioned? You know, have you as a, a trusted partner? So I, c- I can when you talk there about layers, um, I, I can tell you that this part of the industry is incredibly fragmented. And if you think about it, a lot of the companies who have products today are born out of research. And in some cases, it's a founder who's been working on a particular molecule or protein or um, target antibody for years. And, and suddenly they, they make the product and they've got it. And that builds to you've got a lot of little one one product companies out there. You've also got some really broad catalog based, um, you know, one stop shops who can either sell or resell thousands of products. I think the opportunity really that got me excited about medics was from coming from a customer perspective, the changes in IVDR, the, the regulations that govern the IVD uh, companies, 
was going to put a level of requirement of transparency on the supply chain like never before. Mm-hmm. So um, that would put a regulatory burden on some of those smaller manufacturers and some of them, frankly, wouldn't be able to cope with that. So there is a need for consolidation in that market. It's being, it's being driven by regulation. It's also being driven, as in most industries, by procurement. So you can imagine instead of having 500 suppliers, if you could get that number down to um, 10 or 20, just think of the efficiencies alone mm-hmm. on, on purchase orders, on invoicing, etc., and then the opportunity to, to bundle more products together and uh, gain efficiencies on pricing. So there's, there's a drive from the customer perspective to consolidate. What really excited me about Medics was the ambition that the board had. And um, our, we, we had new owners, Devco, Devco um, OY, our uh, private equity company in um, Helsinki in Finland. They have an evergreen strategy with medics. It's not, it's not your typical three to five year cycle. They really want to build the company and they want to add value to the company over the long term. And that could be 10, 15, 20 years. There is no date by which, or there's no target date by which the company would be sold off. Mm-hmm. So that, that excited me in the sense that they really wanted to build something and add value. The second bit that excited me was that just the very fragmentation in the market at a time that customers needed consolidation meant that any customer who goes, any of those companies who move first will, will be preaching to the choir almost or, or um, will be going to customers and meeting their needs. So we were able to consolidate and in making acquisitions and in consolidating supplies in and out of medics, we were able to really meet a, a mega trend in the market or a hot need in the market. Mm-hmm. And the, the analogy I use is probably totally inappropriate, but it's, the market is like a room, a room full of tiny people. And all these little tiny people are, are jostling for attention. There's no great visibility. There's no single market leader. And there's a lot of tiny people who are a little bit taller than others. And I would describe medics as being one of the ones that were a little bit taller. But um, what the customer really wants is visibility. Who's the go-to person in that room? Mm-hmm. And in acquiring Lee Bio and East Coast Bio and Biostride, we're starting to stand on each other's shoulders. And lo and behold, we are more visible. Now, we deal with all the customers Anyway, so visibility is one thing that gets you noticed. The second then is about being relevant and in carefully piecing the right components of the different businesses together, the right alternative portfolios, which businesses we we should have, we bring in to consolidate that then that relevance comes to the customer and the the music. I know I knew we were getting this right within about three months when we sat with large couple of large customers in the U S and talked about the combined portfolio of the new entity, this new Medics Biochemica. And the number of times I've heard back, I had no idea you did that. I thought you just did X or Y or Z. I had no idea you could do that else. So the breadth of capabilities is really resonating with the customer. And it's it's driving us uh, today. It's, it's We haven't scratched the surface yet, but it's driving our current performance. And there's loads and loads of room for 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 growth and and for expansion. And to put it in context, Raman, in in the last eighteen months, Medics has doubled in size um, financially. So our, our revenue has doubled. Um, we've gone from being a Finnish company to now just over fifty five percent of our employees are based in Finland. But we've got sixty employees in the US, thirty in China now. We've really grown internationally. So expanding geographically, growing very strongly in revenue, and the excitement there is that. There's much more to come. There's 
the customers are calling out for, even taller people, even bigger companies that are more relevant and can supply more whilst not trading off on quality. Uh, it's great. It's 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 so uh, wonderful to hear the strategy and and uh, particularly what I like about the investors in the business is that evergreen, longer term vision. It's rare you hear that in a sector that's quite renowned for you know flipping yeah. after three to five years. So it's an interesting. It's quite a Scandinavian approach, I would say. I mean, I've seen um, other kind of long term investors in that part of the world. So it's interesting to know whether that's a, uh, that's almost a cultural thing there to take a longer term view on investments and. So you've been there for just over a year now, if I've if I've understood correctly. And uh, so I was going to ask you about how what's been your um, transition from someone that was running a, a big part of a corporate business within Thermo to actually now being uh, the guy that's responsible for the entire business. Uh, how different is that? How similar is that? And and also, I suppose, a secondary question, obviously the M&A activity that you guys have been involved with, I presume obviously you've played a role in that. And just curious to know how that's been during COVID where it's obviously, I'm guessing it's a lot of it's done via video and you know, you're know you not around tables and having dinners together and all the fun stuff that goes with M&A. Um, so it'd be great to get your take on, on those two things. Yeah. So, so the, the difference, there, there's some elements that, are, that you know, that, like you've got that buzz that you get when you join a, a new company and you don't know where the kettle is or you don't know where the photocopier is or you don't know where the toilets are. And, and those three points, if you get them wrong, can, can be quite catastrophic. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I, I've enjoyed that buzz of, of learning, you know, about the company and, and this. It's, it's not corporate, so it really is a sleeves-up environment and... Um, you know, you, you do the work, much of the work you do yourself. And I, I, I really do like that. I, I have to say I've been really impressed by the quality of people in medics and their humility. The Finns are a very humble race anyway, but um, their, their expertise, their, you know, they've got world-leading expertise and you would never know it from their behaviours. They're very, very humble in what they've done. And um, uh, that, that, that's, that's a nice, it's a nice problem to have in terms of, helping them articulate their strengths and uh, why some of what they're good at might be interesting to customers. So that's, it's been a challenge. The, 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 technically, I think any leader will tell you, Raman, that, that you have blind spots. Mm-hmm. So I, where I probably have strengths is on the commercial side of the business um, and potentially on, on people side and developing teams and, and individuals. Where I have blind spots is on, on the technical side. I am not a scientist. It, it's sometimes a I keep thinking, Christ, what am I doing here? Um, you know, I, I haven't got a clue. And some of, some of the technical conversations that are going on about, um, I don't know, this morning we were talking about cytokines and uh, different markers for um, myeloma, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm li- listening to the scientists. I, I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. But I have to trust in them. And I just need to make sure that I can explain. I, I keep saying to them, look, Explain that back to me so that I could tell my son about it or explain that yeah, back to me yeah. so I can tell my wife about it or my mate in the pub. And if I can understand the major themes, then I trust wholly in where my blind spots are. So I have never run a factory before. It's uh, I need to make sure that the principles are there, that I look for external references, that I look for um, sources that can help me make high-quality decisions. And um, the, those blind spots, I think when you when you acknowledge those, that they're there, then, you know, like any human at the start, you're worried about them because, you know, what if you mess it up? What if, you know, 
what am I going to say to the R&D person? But I think the, ba- the, ma- the major thing is just to be open to dialogue, to ask questions and to consult widely with people. Um, coming back to the kind of family discussions that you might have, I might have had 30, 40 years ago, just to make sure that you're not doing anything stupid. Is this the right thing to do? Do you feel good about this decision? Is there anything else you would have done or am I stopping you from doing something as we, as we, we go through issue by issue? Um, so it's, it's brilliant. You know, you talk about a learning curve. I've had a learning cliff in, in medics. The fun is, I think one day I think I'm, um, you know, I'm there, I'm 90% there to the top of the cliff. And then I ask a question the next day and I realize I'm only 20% of the way there. <laughs> and it's, it's a learning curve. And I've just embraced that openly, that I'm here to learn. There are things I can help you with. There are things I cannot. There are things you can help me with. There are things you cannot. Let's identify those early so that I'm not spending time where I've got the least competence trying to help you when really you need me to be doing something else that I could do in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, sometimes it's not clear. It's, you know, when you come into an organization, you're not 100% sure what the needs are. So it's just lots of questions, lots of probing, lots of um, trying to build the trust, which is, mm-hmm. which is fundamental in all of this, that people can be open to you and say, look, I, I don't know either, Steve. How do you think we should do it? But getting to that stage where we're, we're having not a CEO to, to subordinate relationship, but a peer-to-peer relationship where we solve problems together. And I can never be, I, I will never be the person who comes up with a change in recipe in the manufacturing process that alters the pH of the final product. Um, but I might be able to help with how we commercialize that and how we take it to market. And once we identify those strengths together, we, we can build that trust that you do your part of the job and I'll do mine and together we'll win. Mm-hmm. That's very good. That's some terrific advice there for, for our listeners in terms of leadership and working closely with your team to get the best out of, of, of everyone. And Steve, if you could go back and give your 25-year-old self some advice, what, what would you say? Don't. <laughs> uh, I, I, God, what would I say? I... I I'd say, if anything, um, just just focus on on. It, it sounds like a cliche, but if if you're having fun in what you do and you're making a difference, those are the two things I would look for. And mm-hmm. I, I've I, I used to spend time with reps. There's a scenario in in Liverpool. There was the the reps used to meet in on a Thursday morning. Um, when I was in the far- farm industry, they'd all meet up in, in, in a McDonald's just off the East Langs Road. And you'd go there and there was like a line of Vauxhall Cavaliers or <laughs> Sierras or, or whatever. I'm definitely eating myself here now. But, you know, and, and someone would have a GL and someone else would have an LX and it was like, a, it was big and important at the time or someone had a, a CD player and, and whatever. And, you know, they were wrapped up. People were immersed, you know, immersed in it. And I decided um, uh, to stop going to those for two reasons. One is that's where all the reps were. And the old story was that there were never any appointments available on a Thursday morning. So I actually ended up seeing more doctors on a Thursday morning because there was nobody else out there trying to see them. Mm-hmm. They were all you know, looking at their alloy wheels together. So I, I think don't, don't follow the herd. That's the one thing. Always look to stand out and do your own thing. Right. But get that balance right between your own, you know, are you standing out because you're ridiculous or are you standing out because genuinely you are doing something different? Mm -hmm. Um, And and don't worry too much about um, 
whether, whether you look ridiculous or not, if your intentions are right and you're trying to do the right thing, nine times out of 10, if you have the confidence and the boldness to just do it, you'll make a good fist of it. Yeah. You know, I, at an individual level, I learned that through, through repping in Liverpool. At a company level, I learned a lot from, from Lundbeck on that. Just, you know, what's the worst that'll happen? Go do it. Yeah. Go, go, go do it. It's funny because, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard, but you actually strike me as quite entrepreneurial as a person, even though you've obviously spent a lot of time in big organizations, but you're, you, you seem to have a, you, you talk, call it like a, you know, sleeves rolled up attitude to everything that you do, which is actually quite common in, in entrepreneurs, actually, and people that run businesses and start businesses themselves, which I think is quite interesting. Um but just just my observation of talking yeah. to you today, and uh, and how would how would your best friend describe you in three words? Oh, uh, <laughs> without I'll just have to edit the swear words out of that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd say cheeky, curious, and competitive or results driven. Something around that. Yeah, I love it. it. Cheek is a good one because I, one thing that you might not have, you've said the word fun mm-hmm. many times during this conversation. And I, you know, someone that, you know, my, everyone describes me as cheeky as well. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting that I like, I think fun is such a big part of whatever career that you do. If you're not enjoying it and having fun, then kind of, you know, it's quite soul destroying, I imagine, for people that don't have fun in their career. So is that, and this is just a, a genuinely curious question just because I've never heard it so much on an interview. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something that you you talked about your time, I think, at Thermo and the energy and people always find, found it smiling? Is that something that you try and bring from a cultural perspective as well to make sure that, you know, you are in a, we are in a serious industry, you know, the nature of what we do, but actually you seem to bring an energy that is, is quite... Um, collective it's quite inclusive and it's it, it's very fun orientated is that something that you have to work hard at with teams to make sure that i can make sure you're smiling guys and having some fun you know don't don't take life too seriously yeah i, I think it's got to be um authentic and sincere ramana it, 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 if you try and force people to have fun you, you know there's nothing there's nothing i can think of that's less fun than, than trying to force it so you've got to You've got to find and look for the humor and be open to, be open to finding it in there. I, I think personally it's driven by a reflection that my father died so young and life is short. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, I, I do come across people who are quite serious and are saving things up for when they retire and or they're, you know, they're going to have fun next year or they're going to do that big trip next year. Do it now. Yeah. You know, do, do it now because this is today and this you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow, what will happen tomorrow. So and, and think of all those days while you're waiting that every single day is an opportunity to do something memorable or do something fun with it. And I, I, I think, I just think personally that fun, you spend so much time at work. Think about all the time you spend away from your family, yeah. make it worth it. And if it's not fun, what the hell are you doing there? If, you know, you, that's a lot of time to be putting yourself in a miserable situation. So um, a, a lot of the, the desire for fun is really about doing something meaningful and enjoying what you're doing, taking a pride and, and, and some passion in, in what you're doing. So that when you go back to your kids at the end of the night and they say, dad, why were you away last week? Or why we, it was, it was, it was because I was, I was doing something really important and I really enjoyed it. And let me tell you about the guys I'm working with. And, mm. you know, 
reflect that passion back because your kids don't care if you're signing a deal or if you're developing marketing material or whatever. It's, you know, if you can tell, hey, we, we, had, we had really good fun and, and look at what we did, then that's important. And yeah. I think from a company perspective, a, a fun environment is much more productive, much mm. more productive than a forced environment or a, a, a stale environment. So I think there's a, there's a business side to it as well that in making work fun, you make your employees more productive mm-hmm. and you make them more loyal and more committed. And, um, you know, I, I've always had this concept of, I, I want to make sure that everybody's enjoying the ride, that it will be a roller coaster at times and there's highs and lows in that, obviously, but are people enjoying it? And if you are enjoying it, if you're looking back on that time, whatever you achieve, if you exceed your goals or deliver something amazing or whatever, can you look back and say, you know, I, I really enjoyed that that part of my career. I really enjoyed that mm-hmm. team. I really enjoyed that phase or that project. And if yeah. you can't say yes to that, you really do need to go back and think, where's where's your purpose here? What's what's going on here? What, why, is, why are you not able to do that? Which is interesting because that you're you you seem to speak with great pride and passion about all the roles that you've done that we've talked about today. Which is obviously uh, you don't I can't imagine you would stick around somewhere where you weren't having that that sense of purpose and, and meaning, but also fun as well. And I'm conscious I've taken up a massive chunk of your day already, and I've got mm-hmm. um, my final question was very you know you talked about the fragmentation or the fragmented nature of the market that, that you operate in and, and the continued consolidation. I'm just interested if you could talk a little bit about the, I suppose, major uh, trends and changes that you're seeing going on right now across the outsourcing space. So maybe even with a lens of your time at, at Thermo and and obviously linked to that, how COVID has has impacted the industry and, and how you think it will continue to you know uh, impact the industry. So very broad top line trends and changes is a, is a way, I suppose, of, is my final question, because I think mm-hmm. given your experience, you know, in the sector, I think people would really uh, appreciate your thoughts and perspective on that. Yeah, I, I think COVID has, it's just one of those um, control alt delete life changing moments for many industries. And if you think about I think, I think, again, you, you've got to look at context and perspective here. If you look at companies, household names like Laura Ashley or Flybee in the UK, who, who don't exist anymore. Mm. Um, major retailers struggling, airlines struggling, um, hospitality industry on its knees. You've got to look at perspective. And I, I think, if anything, COVID has, has, has really raised awareness globally of the diagnostic sector and testing. And um, I used to say in, in, when I first came into diagnostics, you know, it's incredible that we, we've spent years in the pharma industry encouraging doctors to treat. And often it's treatment first, test later. And actually, when you think about it, as an industry, we should be promoted ahead of treatment because I think two, 2% of the global healthcare spend is on diagnostics, on, on IVD. Two, 2%, so two in 100 is on that. Wow. But that two then leads to 70% of the spend through therapeutics or surgical interventions or um, whatever the patient needs. So wouldn't it make sense to really, that, that's the tip of the knife. Shouldn't that be as sharp as possible? And often it's, it's an area that's neglected when it comes to healthcare funding. Um, many governments have actually gone to that sector and tried to cut back. If you look at the, the reports in the UK, there's lots of talk about 
consolidation of laboratories, clinical laboratories, getting fewer uh, and making um, that as efficient as possible. And there'll always be efficiencies. That's fine. But I think through COVID, the world has really woken up to the need for and the benefit of high quality diagnostics. And at Medics, we talk about the concept. We, we just did some strategy work last year and we anchor our whole strategy compass around the principle of what's inside matters, what's inside really matters. So really what a patient wants to hear when they get a diagnostic test is, is it's a yes or a no. And imagine the power of being told you don't have cancer, of being released from that, or being told, yes, you are pregnant, What the, that life-changing. So you want certainty in that diagnostic um, test. You want certainty in that answer. And for companies like Medics and, and outsourcing, I think it's really important that we build quality into those tests. So our, our passion for quality means that our customers can rely on our raw materials to give the right answer more often than not. And that in turn protects their reputation. So the, I think there's a great opportunity. There's lots of opportunities for more diagnostic testing to occur. The awareness is higher than it has ever been. It's a very, very crowded space. There's lots of companies trying to provide solutions. So there's lots of opportunities for companies smaller than medics and larger than medics and medics themselves to really meet that need at the moment. And I think from a technology perspective, there's no doubt that if you look at molecular diagnostics in particular, there, there is a technology where the uptake was quite low. It has been on the periphery for decades. The instruments and the know-how and the capability has been coming to market, but COVID has really accelerated that. And I think you'll start to see much more trends towards point-of-care solutions in the future for, for COVID and non-COVID related testing. I think the adoption and acceptance of point-of-care in addition to clinical laboratory testing will, will be much higher than it has been previously. And I think you'll see technologies like molecular becoming um, household or, or routine use diagnostics where in the past that had been quite complex. And it, you think of things like next-gen sequencing. It's, it's mm -hmm. you know, how recently was the DNA uh, code released? And now, you know, from, from it costing a million to do that, you can now do that for for thousands of dollars for a human to release their whole DNA and and profile them to to get their genetic uh, coding. So the, the, I would say, if anything, COVID will benefit the industry long term. Um, it has had a, some some diagnostic testers have really been hurt in the early days with lockdown and people not traveling and people not going to hospital. So a lot of the routine testing has has been hurt, and the suppliers in that segment um, have felt the pain of COVID. But that will recover at some point. And I think a lot of companies have benefited from being really responsive and agile and fast in getting solutions onto the market. And for every test that goes in the market, there's there's a raw material supply behind that. From every vaccine that's out there, there are raw material companies that sit behind that. So we've got to make sure that we're nimble and that we're able to respond quickly whilst never trading or compromising on quality. Um, we've got to make sure that we meet, you know, watch where the market is going because it is going to be different tomorrow than it was yesterday. And mm -hmm. the pace of change and the adoption of different technologies is going to be much more rapid than it was. You know, who would have thought you'd be able to get um, next-gen sequencing done you know, in 24 hours? Who would have thought that you would roll out a brand new vaccine having never, ever seen the source virus? You'd have a vaccine in the world being rolled out globally within 18 months. So the pace 
at which uh, things are changing or dynamic. So I think that's something to watch out for. The base diagnostics business, I hope, will recover to, to normal levels. And then the different technologies that are coming, both point of care, molecular, next gen, etc. I think we've all got to pay attention to those and make sure that we're able to support our customers as they bring solutions to market there. Some fantastic insights. I was uh, making lots of notes as you were talking. And Steve, honestly, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very much grateful for your time and your insights for our, for our listeners. I'm sure they'll all be writing lots of notes and, and, and taking lots of learnings from our chat today. And uh, yeah, hopefully all going well. We'll get to meet together and have a beer together in the future um, at some point because, uh, yeah, we could probably continue the conversation for hours. So yeah. thank thank you so much for for being a guest on, on, on Molecule to Market. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, I really uh, thank you for your time, Raman. And I, I, I want to finish on one thing that mm-hmm. um, as much as I've had a great time and I'm pr- proud of what I've done in my career is because I've worked with really great teams and brilliant people. And I've had excellent coaches, mentors, managers, um, great advice throughout that. But really, I, I wouldn't have had any success if it wasn't for the people around me. And, and that's true today and has been. So if there is one reflection, it's... Um, you know, my success is down to many, many people, and I've enjoyed working with teams that have delivered success together. So, yeah, that's, leave you great. That that's great, and it's a it's a great lesson to to leave our listeners. If you know one that we keep hearing of, surround yourself with good people and smart people, which I uh, constantly hear from the leaders. So, cheers, Steve. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. Thanks a lot, Raman. All the best. Hi again, thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.